I am no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. What a great message. I want you to say out loud, I'm no longer a slave of fear. Because I'm a child of God. Listen, if you follow Jesus, that is true in your life. If you are a child of God, you don't have to be a slave to fear. In this Christmas season, we're going to learn about the child that God sent us so that we can learn how to become better children of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Man, I love our worship team and when they just kill it like that. Kendrian and his wife, Lauren. Jordan, who was on my left, we're looking at leading our second campus in Kansas. So he's here getting ready to look at what it will be like to lead worship in our second campus that we're starting next spring. God's doing incredible things. And one of those things is he's teaching us how to worship. He's teaching us how to be a church that worships a God who is worthy of our praise. And in, in December this year, we're going to study about the gift of Jesus at Christmas. This week, we're going to talk about the gift given to us at Christmas. Next week, we're going to talk about the gift given for us at Christmas. And then on December 17th, we're going to talk about how Christmas can be the gift from us that we give to others. I don't know if you've started inviting people yet to one of our Christmas services, but you need to do that. Surveys say that 80% of people who do not go to church, who do not call themselves Christians, will go to church with a friend who personally invites them on Christmas or on Easter because they think they're supposed to do that. They watch everyone else doing Christian stuff on Christmas and Easter, and they think, I wish I could do that too, but I don't know where to go. So as you think about your friends and your family members who might not know Jesus, who are not yet engaged in church, if you invite them, eight out of 10 are gonna say yes. Christmas can be a gift from you to someone in your life who needs to engage or re-engage spiritually. We start our Christmas story about 700 years before the birth of Christ in Isaiah chapter nine. Now, let me give you some quick background on Isaiah so you can know who he is and why he is important. The prophet Isaiah prophesied for 53 years in Israel. He had more than a half century of prophetic ministry, longer than any other prophet in history. From 739 to 686, he dated his book and said, this is the year I was called and we know when he died. Isaiah began prophesying at the end of King Uzziah's, the king of Judah's 52 year reign, which was marked by two things that made it hard to be a prophet. It was marked by national prosperity, but spiritual bankruptcy. So he had to show up in the midst of people's lives who were going well and say, I know things are going well, but you're not on the right track spiritually. In those days in Israel, they said, if we're being blessed, we must be doing things right. And Isaiah said, no, you're not doing things right. And the blessing is going to leave if you don't return to God. Isaiah is really important in the life and ministry of Jesus. The book of Isaiah is quoted directly over 65 times in the New Testament, far more than any other Old Testament prophet. And Isaiah himself is mentioned by name more than 20 times. One of the times he's mentioned but not by name is Hebrews 11.37, where it references an Old Testament hero that was martyred by being sawn in two. Jewish history tells us that was the prophet Isaiah under the evil king Manasseh, the king of Judah. But his major message is this, all 66 chapters of it, the consequences of our sin is suffering, but the hope of our future is a savior. I mean, that's Isaiah. That's what he came to say, that the consequences of sin will lead to sufferings. But the hope of a future is a savior, and his name is going to be Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah prophesies and talks about the northern kingdom of Israel being defeated by Assyria and being taken captive. He basically said, y'all are having a really bad day. But he gets into Isaiah chapter 9 and said, but it doesn't have to stay that way because the hope of the future is a savior. And we step into Christmas with Isaiah 2,700 years ago in this text. He says in Isaiah 9, 1, nevertheless, 
There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. He's talking to a nation that was just defeated, but he said things will change. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar that was across their shoulders, the rod of their oppression. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment that was rolled in blood is going to be destined for burning. It'll be fuel for fire for to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So let me ask you a question. Have you sent out your Christmas card yet or have you attempted to take the picture that will go on your Christmas card yet, buy the matching outfits, endure the horrific day that your wife sets up to have you do that, at least if it's in my case? Because if you're going to send out Christmas cards and you want them to be like a Christian Christmas card, you might put a verse on them. And if you don't know what verse to put on them, you might Google Bible verses for Christmas cards. And if you do that, a link will pop up to give you 20 of the greatest Christmas Bible verses to put on Christmas cards. The first one that you'll see will be Isaiah 7, 14. It's a good Christmas verse. The virgin will give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. That sounds like a Christian Christmas. The second will be Matthew 2, 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. You can picture the Magi coming from the east to worship Jesus. The third will be Luke 2, 12. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. But the fourth would be Isaiah 9, what we just read. This is not just a Bible verse. It's a Christmas verse for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. This is a great Christmas verse for a Christmas card, but it's more than a Christmas verse for a Christmas card. This is actually a text of scripture, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 6, that was written for us. But really, it's more than a text of scripture that was written for us. As we look deeper into Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 6, we see this wasn't just written for us. We actually see that this, like this is us. If you've pulled your notes out of your bulletin and you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to see of, about Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 is that this, like this is us. This is us. Now, some of you watch a show called This Is Us. I watched my first episode ever of This Is Us this week because my wife watches it and she cries. And I see people post stuff on social media. And apparently you have to end this show by crying with the characters and whatever they're crying about. So I watched my very first episode ever this week. I didn't cry, but it was sad. Like I, I, I felt it. I felt it in my heart, but I didn't cry. It's a show that's so powerful because it, like it is us. It is So much of the stuff that I watch families in our church live through. Uh, It's a show with a large family. It's a show about a blended family in the second half of their life. It's a show about the struggles of adoption. And you see through the lens of the parents and through the lens of the adoptive child, the emotional life that that is. It's a show filled with racial tension. It's a show that has a dad that has substance abuse that nearly is destroying a family. It's a show that deals with marriage tension. It's a show 
that deals with death and how people process moving on from death. Just two weeks ago, it was a show that dealt with miscarriages. And as the big brother of a little sister who went through three before she could have her child, like it's, it's real. It's like, you see like that, this show is popular because this is us. This is so many people that we know. Well, Isaiah 9 was meant to be read the same way, that this is us. Isaiah 9, 6 contains something known in hermeneutics. For those of you who you know, like to get deep into Bible study, hermeneutics is, is proper biblical interpretation. It's the study of how to interpret Scripture correctly. There's something known in hermeneutics as progressive revelation. You say, what, what does that mean, progressive revelation? It means the longer you get away from something that was written, the more that it means. The revelation actually progresses to mean many things to many generations. The longer you live, the more it means. Another great tool of hermeneutics is this, ask questions. Never read a verse of the Bible without asking questions. So if we're practicing proper hermeneutics and we read Isaiah 9, 6, we read this. For to us, if you have your pen out, circle the word us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Circle the word us again. Proper hermeneutics would say we should stop right there and ask this question, who is us? Like this Bible text can't mean to us what it's supposed to until we know who us is. Because Isaiah's just made this bold statement, to us, like to some people. We should want to know, well, who are these people? Who is us? And we find out through progressive revelation that us just keeps growing and growing as a crowd. Us meant them 2,700 years ago. So what do you mean us meant them? I mean, Isaiah was writing to and prophesying to a very real group of people called the nation of Israel 2,700 years ago. And he was saying them to this. He did not write this and hide it in a jar for people later. This was for them. So us, to us, a child is born. That meant them 2,700 years ago. After the destruction of northern Israel, the nation had been conquered. The people had been displaced. Isaiah said, for them, there's hope. And look at verses nine. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Isaiah says, nevertheless, speaking to them 2,700 years ago, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea that is beyond the Jordan. So northern Israel had been destroyed. Northern Israel had been humbled. Northern Israel had been distressed. Northern Israel was now in slavery in Assyria. But Isaiah said all the trouble that happened to the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, it was going to be okay. Those people were going to come back. You know, that means a whole lot more when you know where Naphtali and Zebulun were. So I want to show you a map because this text comes to life when you can see it. So, okay, who was Isaiah talking to? He was talking to the tribes of Naphtali in Zebulun that you can see right here. This is the tribal allotment of the 12 tribes of Israel within Israel when they were still tribes and not one big nation. If you have a good study Bible, you probably have a map that looks just like this in the back of your Bible. I never read a place in scripture that I don't go find the map if I can't see it in my head. So Isaiah says the land of Naphtali and Zebulun that have been destroyed. How were they destroyed? Well, Arameans, this is modern day Syria, Assyria biblically, would always attack from the north and they would have followed the river so their troops could have had food. They would have come through Naphtali by way of the Jordan. There it is. They would have then went to Zebulun. They would have hung a left right in here at Megiddo because there's a mountainous spine that runs the whole length north to south of Israel. And the only place you can cut through from here to here is at Megiddo. There's a valley called the Valley of Megiddo. You may have heard it pronounced Armageddon. 
And this is where Assyria would have come in to attack the people. And Isaiah said, those of you who live in Naphtali, those of you on the front line of the attack that destroyed Israel, you don't always have to be distressed because you're going to come back. And 200 years later, there was a king named Cyrus in Persia that issued a decree that said everyone who now is living, living in captivity, you can go home. And the people came home, and the people did not cross the desert. They would have died. They would have traveled up the Tigris, Euphrates River, and they would have traveled down this mountain valley. And the people who left by this way would come back this way. And Isaiah would say, for those of you in Naphtali, in Zebulun, there's hope for you. So he was talking to them, us, to us. A child is born meant them 2,700 years ago. You've gone away, but you'll come back. But us, in progressive revelation, also meant Israel. When Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. So Isaiah was talking to people 2,700 years ago, but through prophecy, God would talk to people 700 years later, living in the land of Israel. Us meant Israel when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. And listen to how Isaiah talks to Israel through prophecy 700 years later. Let's just stay in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Watch how this becomes progressive in its revelation. Nevertheless, Isaiah says... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Because the people there walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Say, Christian, what's happening 700 years later in Israel? It's interesting. If you lay a map of Syro-Palestine in the time of Jesus, right next to the Old Testament map, you can locate the Sea of Galilee and you can see what has changed in 700 years. The land of Naphtali and the land of Zebulun are now filled with cities called Nazareth, where Jesus' mom and dad were from, named Cana, where Jesus performed his first miracle, named Nain, where Jesus raised a widow's daughter from, from the dead, named... Tiberius on the Sea of Galilee, named Magdala, where a lady named Mary, who we know as Mary Magdalene, would have lived, named Capernaum, where Jesus would have based his ministry, named Bethsaida, where Simon Peter and his brother Andrew would have lived. All of this area, 700 years later, Isaiah said, would be gifted with a light that would change the world. Naphtali and Zebulun, these lands that were destroyed by Assyria, these lands would experience a light so that people living in distress wouldn't have to walk in darkness anymore. So through progressive revelation, Isaiah said, what was them? Now is Israel, and God is moving there so that people who are in distress will see a light that ends up from Galilee, changing the world. So us, 2,700 years ago, was them. An army came and destroyed them, but they would come back. But us, for Isaiah, through prophecy, meant Israel in the time of Jesus, when Jesus would be born and raised in Galilee, around Nazareth in the Sea of Galilee. Us meant Israel 2,000 years later. But as we continue to read Isaiah chapter 9, we read that us means us today, like you and me. Us meant Israel 2,700 years ago, clearly. Us meant Israel 2,000 years ago with Jesus, clearly. But when you read Isaiah chapter 9, I'll let you decide. Maybe I'm wrong. You tell me whether or not this is written to us because I believe through progressive revelation, us means us today. What is the message for us to us 
a child has been born. To us, a son is given. We get a description of what us looked like 2,700 years ago and of what us looked like 2,000 years ago. But tell me if this still applies to us. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, that was the day of Gideon, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, and the rod of their oppressor. You know, the sad fact of Isaiah chapter 9 is the spiritual condition of Isaiah's world that's referenced here was the same as the spiritual condition of Jesus' world, which we know about from the New Testament. And it's the exact same as the condition of our world. The sad fact of this progressive revelation is so much has changed except for the hearts of people. And the spiritual condition of Isaiah's world, Jesus' world, and our world, it's the exact same. So we say, who is us? Us, 2,700 years ago, us, 2,000 years ago, us today. You know who us is? We're a people who need everything. Us is indicative of a people spiritually who need everything. You say, what do we need? Number one, spiritual help. Isaiah said, people living in darkness, people walking in darkness need help. They need peace. People need spiritual help. There are people in our community this morning who you woke up with the light of Jesus in you. You got to sing, I'm no longer a slave of fear because I'm a child of God. You have this light that gives life to your spirit. They do not. They're waking up thinking, how am I going to make it out of bed to go to work tomorrow? How, how am I going to buy my kids gifts for Christmas? How far are we going to go in debt this year? What's going to be the plan next year? They don't have the light of Jesus. There are people walking in darkness who need spiritual help. We all live in a world, in my opinion, that needs global help. I love what Isaiah said 2,700 years ago that applies today. He says, listen, there's a lot of people walking in darkness, and here's why. Because the land is filled with deep darkness, man. Like, people are living in darkness because we live in this world that is dark. Turn on the television, pick up the paper, read through social media. There are not always good things going on. People who need global help see us in a world that just seems to be getting darker. Isaiah says this king will come to offer national help. He said there are people living like in the day of Midian. What was the day of Midian? It was one of Israel's most fractured times as a nation. It was a time of near civil war in Israel. It was a time where half the people of Israel hated the leader and half the people loved him so much that they wanted to make him king by force. It was a fractured time. Isaiah says in a time when your nation is fractured. 2,700 years ago, that was Israel. 2,000 years ago, that was Israel. Today, is it America? Isaiah says, God is going to come to people who need everything because there are people who need help with the burdens of their life. Isaiah said, God will come to help people who are under a yoke. You know what a yoke is? I don't know if you've ever been to a third world country where they still plow oxen with yoke, but yoke is this big wooden bar they put across the neck of oxen to make sure they're moving in the same direction behind a slave driver. Some of you are so weighed down by the yoke of your life, you can't do anything but take one step after another in a direction you don't even want to be going anymore. But you've got this burden on your life that keeps driving you. Us is a people who need everything because Isaiah will say the world needs help with the oppression that fills it. There will always be evil people taking advantage of the weak. And oppression will fill your world. But Isaiah says God is going to come and help with that. Now we know looking at these five things. Throw that next one up there if you would. 
We know looking at these five things, this was Israel 2,700 years ago. We can study the history of Assyria in Israel. We know this was Israel 2,000 years ago. We can study the history of Rome and its involvement in the Syro-Palestine era. But, but you tell me, is this us today? Is this the people in this room? Is this Lee Summit? Is this Kansas City? Is this our country? Is this us? Are we still a people who need spiritual help? Living in a world that globally needs a lot of spiritual help. Are we living in a nation that's fractured to the point of not being able to trust who's in charge of the nation? Isaiah prophesied for 50 years. In those 50 years, he prophesied to four different kings because nobody could get it right. In the first 120 years of Israel, there were three kings. Saul for 40 years, David for 40 years, Solomon for 40 years. Now they were to the point where about every decade, they just flipped to a new guy because they could not get a leader to lead them in the right direction. Does, is that us? Do we live in a community? Are there people in your home? Is it you who needs help with the spiritual burden in their lives? And do any of us still doubt that we live in a world where the strong oppress the weak if they're not filled with the spirit of God? See, this is us. I mean, it was them and it was Israel. But Isaiah said, it's us. And if we admit that this is us, then we get to be participants in the greatest promise Ever. Because this is us, but Isaiah doesn't leave us with just the messed up condition of our life and our world. Isaiah leaves us with a promise. He said, This is us, but number two, this is him. You see, this is us. We are a people who need everything. Man, we're so broken, and we live in a world that's so broken, and we are led by people that are so broken. We are a people who need everything, but this is him. And thank God he came. Who is him? Look at verse 6 to find out who he is. For to us, you might circle the word us and just write in your Bible, me. Because it's you. For to you, a child is born. For to us, to me, to you, a son is given. And who is he? Well, the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting father. He'll be called the prince of peace. Isaiah doesn't end this prophecy to a people in need of everything without offering them anything. Instead, he said, here's everything you need. And here's who's a person who can meet all of those needs. Because to us, this child is coming. And I love what Isaiah did here. He didn't just present a child as the savior. He presented him as the solution. To our needs. You see, we sell Jesus short when he becomes our spiritual savior for eternity, but not our spiritual solution for today, not our spiritual solution for tomorrow. Say, oh, Jesus is my savior. Okay, is he, is he your solution to people living in darkness? Is he the solution to a world living in deep darkness? Is he the solution to people oppressing the weak? Is he the solution? He's not just a savior. Isaiah said he's the solution. A world that has clear needs is being presented with a child who would bring big solutions 2,700 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and today. And when you see it through this lens, man, look at the gifts of Christmas because maybe one of them has your names on it. 
If you can picture grandpa sitting around the tree handing out gifts to people, look at the gifts of Christmas that God is giving out. Every need exposed by Isaiah found its solution in the birth of this child. There's somebody in the house who's in need of spiritual help. You for Christmas get a wonderful counselor. We all live in a world in need of global help. We for Christmas get the prince of peace that no one can broker but Jesus. We all live in a country, I believe, that's in need of some national help. We get for Christmas one who will have the government on his shoulders. We don't have to look to Washington. We can look to heaven. All of us who are living in need, in, in need of help with our spiritual burdens, we get an everlasting father whose arms are always big enough to receive us and whose hands are always strong enough to help us. Those bothered by and involved in helping in the oppression of the weak get a mighty God not to assist them, but to help them and do things on their behalf. And here's the cool thing. These gifts of Christmas are all the same present, and his name is Jesus. They're all the same present, and his name is Jesus. But Isaiah earlier had called him by a different name. He didn't say there's going to be a baby born that's going to be named Jesus. Two chapters earlier in Isaiah, but 20 years earlier in his prophecy, Isaiah prophesying to a wicked king in Israel named Ahaz, his grandson Manasseh would later kill Isaiah, but his son Hezekiah would be one of Israel's greatest kings. He would go to Ahaz and say, God wants to help you. And he would tell Ahaz in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord is going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel. So you're saying, wait a minute, wasn't his name Jesus? Like, is Emmanuel's middle name? I thought Christ was his middle name. Like, what, are you sure this is the same kid Christian? Yes, I am. Emmanuel's not a name, it's a title. And it's a title that means God with us. God with us. Isaiah went to Ahaz and he said, here's the solution to your problem. God's going to be with you. Isaiah went to the people of Israel 2,700 years ago and said, here's the solution. God will be with you. Isaiah spoke 700 years later to the people of Israel in the day of Jesus and said, Jesus will be God with you. And Isaiah speaks to people today in spiritual distress and said, here's your solution. God will be with you. God with us. This truth is the key of Christmas. God with us. You see, the foundational truth of Christianity is not the absence of need, but it's the presence of one who promises to meet your needs. So well, I know when Jesus really comes, when there is no more darkness. That's not how it works. The foundational truth of Christianity is not that all the needs get removed, but that a presence gets dropped in in the midst of needs that helps us through life. You see, God with us means God with you. God with us means God with you, Dad. God with us means God with you, Mom. God with us means God with you, single adult. God with us means God with you, Grandma and Grandpa. God with us means God with you, teenager and elementary student. That's what it means. When you need spiritual help, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. When we experience yet another global crisis, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When our nation continues to fracture, Jesus has the government on his shoulders. When your burdens get too heavy, Jesus is the everlasting Father who can carry them. When the rod of oppression strikes again, Jesus is a mighty God. A summary of Isaiah chapter 9 would sound like this if we just skip to the Cliff Notes version. This is us. Unto us, a child is born. This is us, a people who need everything. But this is him. 
the one who has everything. And this is Christmas. It's where it all ties together for us, receiving God's gift of Jesus in our lives for our world. You see, today, as the angels would say in the town of David, Savior's been born for you. Unto you, this child was born. Unto you, this son was given. You say, why? Because we need Jesus. Because we walk in darkness, because we live in a world filled with darkness. Because we're either the oppressor oppressing the weak, or we're the weak getting oppressed, or we're somewhere in the middle trying to figure out how we can be a mediator between the two. Because we watch a world that never seems to have peace, but we want deep down for that to come one day. What is your need? Because Jesus is the answer. Do you know him? I don't mean know of him. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you asked him to be the light in your life? Have you committed to follow him? Do you know Jesus? Second question. Do you know Jesus, but currently you're not following him? Like you know him. He is the light inside you. But right now in your life, you're in a season where you're not very close to him. Do you know Jesus, but you're not following him and engaged with him? Because the reality is this, if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, but you're not following, don't live in darkness when you know where the light switch is. You're going to stub your toe. And when you stub your toe spiritually, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts others. Don't live in darkness when you know where the light switch is. Don't live under the yoke of slavery when you know where freedom is. If you know Jesus, don't live with no hope when you know who the mighty God is. Do you know Jesus? If not, will you get to know him? Do you know Jesus, but you're not following him right now? Will you re-engage? Because unto you, this child was born. Unto you, this son was given. But like any gift at Christmas, you got to take it, you got to unwrap it, and you have to receive it. Would you bow your heads with me today as we close?